Good morning, Emmaus Road Church. Would you please uh, turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20 as we continue our way through this examination and exposition of the Ten Commandments. Have you ever wondered why we measure our time in weeks? I mean, just, just think about it. All of the other time measurements that we rely on have very clear scientific explanations. Days represent the time it takes for the earth to spin around its axis. Months loosely follow the the lunar cycle of the moon. And years measure the amount of time it takes for the earth to revolve around the sun. But why do we have weeks? There's no natural scientific phenomena that explains the rationale for weeks. Much to the chagrin of materialists around the world, we have weeks because God established them when he created the universe. And this morning, we are going to take a closer look at the significance of these weeks that God made. So if you are able, out of reverence for God's holy and authoritative word, would you please stand with us as we read our text this morning. Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would bless the preaching of your word this morning. We ask that you would Help us to to marvel at the the beauty and the goodness of your law, and we ask that you would reveal more of the glory of the gospel of Jesus to us. Holy Spirit, would you impress these truths upon our hearts now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. It's my purpose this morning to convince you that God's people should imitate God's Sabbath rest by setting apart God's day for God's purposes. God's people should imitate God's Sabbath rest by setting apart God's day for God's purposes. Today, we turn our attention to the fourth commandment. This is the, the only one of the Ten Commandments that God clearly sets forth and establishes before the Israelites even reach Mount Sinai. We see this idea of the Sabbath first mentioned in Exodus 16 with the Lord's provision of manna in the wilderness. This is also the the longest and the most detailed of the Ten Commandments listed in Exodus chapter 20. And in addition to that, one could argue that the Old Testament Israelites considered this 
commandment to be the most important of the ten. And how do we know that? Because as one commentator notes, Sabbath observance is mentioned more often than any other of the ten commandments. Eleven times in the Pentateuch and over 100 times in the Old Testament. The fourth commandment may come with its fair share of controversy, but you cannot doubt its significance. And this morning, as we consider this commandment, I want you to consider what it looks like for us to, one, imitate God's rest, two, to to sanctify God's day, and three, to see God's purpose in giving us the Sabbath. So first, let's consider God's rest. In Scripture, there are two different places where we can find the fourth commandment clearly taught. The first place we find it is in our text from this morning in Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. The second place we see it is in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. And while the basic contours of the commandment are the same in each of these locations, the reasons or the motives given for why we ought to obey the commandment are different and worth considering. So first, let's look at the motive in Exodus chapter 20. Look specifically at the word for that begins verse 11. So so, so why are we to remember the Sabbath, to to keep it holy? For, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Exodus chapter 20 grounds obedience to the fourth commandment in God's pattern of creation. And as we know, all good theology begins in Genesis. God, through Moses, is telling the Israelites that they ought to rest from their work in the present precisely because God rested from his work in the past, in creation. In Genesis 2, verses 2 through 3, we see, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So God sets the pattern at the very beginning. Work for six days, and then cease from work on the seventh day. And then, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, God tells us to imitate him. One commentator says of this verse, the the God who brooks no other God, the God who is provoked to jealousy by any human-made representation of him, the God who guards the sanctity of his name severely, here, he says, be like me. What an honor that that God would dignify our work by comparing it to his in creation. What we see here in Exodus 20 verses 8 through 11 is that God grounds the fourth commandment in the moral fabric of the universe and he establishes it as a creation law. Next, when we turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5 verses 12 through 15, we see an additional motive that, that grounds 
obedience to the fourth commandment. Deuteronomy 5, again, explains the commandment in verses 12 through 14, and then in verse 15 says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord, your God, brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord, your God, commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. This time, Moses expands the reason why God's people should observe the Sabbath. He roots the commandment in their deliverance from Egypt by God's mighty hand and outstretched arm. So not only is this law connected to creation, it's also connected to God's salvation. It is a redemptive law just as much as it is a creation law. And therefore, connecting God's fourth commandment to God's creative purposes and to his saving acts should increase our appreciation for and our honoring of the Sabbath. With that established, let us consider now the requirements of God's Sabbath rest. Unlike the other commandments, which give us either a a positive or a negative command, the fourth commandment gives us both, a positive command and a negative command. Verses eight through 10 of Exodus 20 say, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. There's, There's our positive command. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day, is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work. There's our negative command. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. God's people were to keep the Sabbath holy by resting from their ordinary work and by worshiping God in public and in private. It was a day set apart for special, holy use, a day for trusting in the Lord and turning their horizontal gaze upward. It was a day to to renounce their autonomy and a day to trust in God's sovereignty. It was not a day to make a few extra sales or to network with a few extra clients or to burn the midnight oil to make a few extra dollars. As Victor Hamilton says, God was not a workaholic. Don't you be one, says this fourth commandment. Yet, while work is prohibited and rest is required, this commandment was not to be turned into a magnifying glass by which overzealous legalists could scrutinize and judge what their neighbors were doing wrong on the Sabbath. We, we know that our sinful hearts have a tendency to take a, a good gift like the Sabbath and turn it into a way in which we can parade our false sense of righteousness before others. And this is why scripture shows us that the fourth commandment permitted doing good on the Sabbath. And it allowed doing works of, of piety and necessity and mercy. It was not wrong for for Jesus to teach in the synagogue on the Sabbath or for a priest to perform his priestly duties. It was not wrong for a mother to cook a meal for her hungry family or for you to take your friend to the emergency room. In keeping the Sabbath, we must remember that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. 
Notice also what is said there at the end of verse 10. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. God here entrusts the the responsibility of keeping the Sabbath to those who are in authority. Thomas Watson calls these people superiors, whether public or private, whether parents or business owners or civil magistrates, these people were responsible for honoring the Sabbath so that those underneath their care may also experience the blessings of the Sabbath. It's interesting to note that throughout history, as some uh, societies enacted Sabbath laws or or blue laws, as some people call them, they were established for the the blue-collar workers, for the working class man or woman. And in verse 10, we see why that is. The, The Sabbath was to benefit children and servants and livestock and foreigners. God wanted all people to enjoy this principle of rest, not just those who had the means to live a leisurely life. So in the fourth commandment, we see God setting the pattern of of work and rest and then calling us to imitate him in that rhythm. And Christians in general have been in agreement that this idea of Sabbath rest is a good one. However, there's not been agreement on exactly when or how this day should be honored. So second, let us consider the nature of God's day. And we can start by asking, does God care which day the Sabbath is observed on? In the Old Testament, under the the Mosaic law, the Jews observed the Sabbath on the seventh day of the week, which is what we would understand as Saturday. However, the fourth commandment did not require God's people to rest specifically on the seventh day. It merely required them to labor for six days and then to rest for the seventh. It did not stipulate which day that that pattern should start on. Yet, as we move into the gospel accounts, we see that that Jesus never violated the fourth commandment in its mosaic seventh day form. He did not change the day of observance during his life and ministry. We know that Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And it should be our posture that God's law is still applicable to us today unless the New Testament shows us a change in its application. So why is it then that with the exception of a few different traditions, Christians now worship the Lord on Sundays, the the first day of the week, and not on Saturday, the seventh day of the week. For many Christians, it probably is just a matter of tradition and convenience and status quo. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Well, what I would like to show you is that there are actual theological and biblical reasons for this shift as well. And it's my opinion that these reasons should increase our appreciation for a Sunday Sabbath and increase our worship of the Lord. So let's look at these reasons. The the first indication that we have of a switch of 
Sabbath observance from the seventh day to the first day of the week is seen in the early New Testament church. In Acts chapter 20, verse 7, the apostle Luke tells us that on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. The, the disciples were gathered on the first day of the week, and presumably Paul here was, was preaching a sermon as they broke bread together. The Jews had been worshiping God for centuries on the seventh day of the week, but here in Acts, the, the Jewish Christians explicitly meet for a worship service on the first day of the week. In 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 2, we see something similar. Paul says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do on the first day of every week. Each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Paul instructed the the Corinthians here in the same way that he instructed the church in Galatia, and he told them that it would be fitting to collect the offering on the first day of the week, when the church was gathered together for worship. But why is it so important, and what is so important about the first day of the week? Why did Luke and Paul feel it necessary to to explicitly mention that day in particular? The Gospel of Mark gives us the answer to that question. The Gospel of Mark tells us that this is the day that Jesus rose from the dead, Mark 16, 9 says, Now when he, when Jesus, rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. The first day of the week is significant because it is the day that Jesus rose from the grave. And not only did he rise from the grave, but in his rising, the entire created order was reborn on that day. Day. This was a day of recreation. And as one author has said, every creation needs a Sabbath. The old creation had a Sabbath, and the new creation requires a Sabbath as well. In Revelation 1, verse 10, the Apostle John calls this first day, this resurrection day, he calls it the Lord's Day. And so, what did Christ do with the Sabbath of the Mosaic order? B.B. Warfield says it like this, Christ took the Sabbath into the grave with him and brought the Lord's day out of the grave with him on the resurrection morn. And in our observance of the Lord's day on Sunday, what then do we celebrate? We celebrate the first day of creation in which God the Father said, let there be light. We celebrate the day in which God the Son rose from the grave and we celebrate the day in which the Holy Spirit descended at Pentecost. This is what happened on the first day of the week, and this is a day we should not take lightly. This is a day of cosmic significance. This is God's day, and it is a gift to the church. So what are Christians to do with a day like this? If we acknowledge that it is still appropriate for Christians to obey the fourth commandment by setting aside a a day of rest and worship, and if we agree that it is a fitting 
to observe this day on the first day of the week, which is the Lord's day, then how should we think about this day and what are God's purposes for us in it? So last, let's look at God's purposes for us in the fourth commandment. And I want to highlight three purposes here for you, though I'm sure there are others. Purpose number one, God means for this day to be a day of delight and not a day of duty. We do not want to be like the Judaizers that Paul warns us about in Colossians 2.16, who enforce Sabbath observance according to the sacrificial and ceremonial order of the Old Covenant. We're not bound to observe the Jewish calendar anymore. And when we observe the Lord's Day, we do not want to be superstitious cranks and curmudgeons about it. Rather, we want to recognize the Sabbath as God's grace to us. The Sabbath is, is not something that we can claim with an aggressive grasp of our hands. It is something that we receive from God with humble hearts. And though God has made every day special, there is a unique sense in which we can say with the psalmist here that this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Purpose number two. God intends that this day would be viewed as the best day of the week for Christians. Some have even referred to the Lord's Day as the queen of all the days. Listen to how the Puritan Thomas Watson describes this day and consider how it compares with your opinion of the Sabbath. He says, the Sabbath is the market day of the soul, the cream of time. It is the day of Christ rising from the grave and the Holy Ghost descending upon the earth. It is perfumed with the sweet odor of prayer, which goes up to heaven as incense. On this day, the manna falls, that is, angel's food. This is the soul's festival day on which the graces act their part. The other days of the week are most employed about earth, this day about heaven. Then you gather straw, now pearl. Now Christ takes the soul up into the mount and gives it transfiguring sights of glory. Now he leads his spouse into the wine cellar and displays the banner of his love. This day, a Christian is in the altitudes. He walks with God and takes it and takes, as it were, a turn with him in heaven. On this day, holy affections are quickened. The stock of grace is improved. Corruptions are weakened. And Satan falls like lightning before the majesty of the word. How highly should we esteem and reverence this day? It is more precious than rubies. God has anointed it with the oil of gladness above its fellows, On the Sabbath, we are doing angels' work. Our tongues are tuned to God's praises. The Sabbath on earth is a shadow and type of the glorious rest, an eternal Sabbath we hope for in heaven, when God shall be the temple and the Lamb shall be the light of it. Do you view the Lord's day like that? And if Sunday is 
the best week for us, like we sometimes say, then how do we keep it that way? I'd like to offer two suggestions for how we can cultivate a high view of the Lord's day. First, we ought to prepare for it. For each family and for each person here, this may look a little bit different, but at the very least, we should pray that God would prepare our hearts for Sunday, and we should get good rest the night before so that we can come attentive and eager to hear what God has to say to us in his word. Beyond that, I don't want to get too prescriptive with how each one needs to prepare. I know some families who love to, to share a Sabbath meal on Saturday evening so that their hearts can be filled with, with gratitude to God who gives richly to us all things. And in this way, they, they create rhythms that center around the Lord's Day. But as we think about preparing for the Lord's Day, we want to remember that these things are things that we get to do. These are not things that we are required to do. And second, we should guard the Lord's Day. Our consumeristic world demands that we never slow down in the rat race of life. Furthermore, sports leagues and other extracurricular activities have a way of absorbing all of our time and all of our energy, often without any regard for the Lord's day. So we ought to make the Sabbath rest and worship a priority in our lives. As Kevin DeYoung says, we may say that Jesus is Lord, but end up showing that soccer is the real king. And if it's not soccer for you, then you can fill in the blank. The way that we spend our time and order our weeks communicates to our families and friends the things that we value most. And that is why we must prepare for and be careful to guard the Lord's day. And lastly, purpose three. God intends for the fourth commandment to remind us to rest in the finished work of Christ. Hebrews chapter four, verses nine and 10 says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. A Sabbath rest remains for the people of God because Christ entered God's rest when he rose from the dead and conquered sin and death. And now we who are joined to him We rest in him now by faith. Victor Hamilton says, rest for the follower of Jesus is both a now reality and a not yet reality. Those who have placed themselves under Christ's yoke have already experienced a most satisfying rest. However, there is both possessively and prospectively a Sabbath rest for the people of God, which will become a full reality in the eschaton, when the faithful elect will rest from their labor. So how do God's people keep the Sabbath and obey the fourth commandment between the now and the not yet? Well, we gather on the Lord's day together like this to rest from our constant striving to renew our faith and our trust in the Lord and his finished work as we see this day drawing near. 
you have not yet experienced the rest of Christ, if you have searched the world over and come up empty, if you've looked for salvation in all of the wrong places, then come to Christ, for he longs to give the rest that you need. For he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift that is the Sabbath. What a gift it is to our souls that calls us to to trust in you more, to relinquish our control, to trust in your sovereignty. Lord, we ask that you would help us not to turn a good gift like this into a burdensome duty. Lord, would you help us to rest in the finished work of Christ. Help us to see the beauty and the significance of the Lord's day. Help us to esteem it as we ought to. We pray this for your glory, for our good. In the name of Jesus, world without end. Amen.